Good morning to all of you. We are glad that you have chosen to be with us here at Grace Community Church this morning. I am Pastor Tim. I'm the executive pastor. As you know, Pastor John and Shelley are away on vacation, and we as pastoral staff are preaching through our mission statement. I hope you know our mission statement because it's up in front of you each and every week. We live to inspire Christ's likeness by reaching out, raising up, and reverencing Christ together. Um, on October 5th, Pastor Stephen, if you missed any of these sermons, we would encourage you to go on our website and listen to them. Pastor Stephen preached on um, inspiring Christ's likeness last week. Pastor Eric preached on reaching out. I will speak on our second R, which is raising up today in just a moment. We will conclude the series on our mission statement next week with Pastor Brian preaching on reverencing Christ together. I want to say something about, just in general, about our mission statement and just about Christianity. The, the Christian life, growing and learning to be more like Christ, is not a stair-step type process. Ryan kind of mentioned that this, this morning. It's not like you take one step and then you take another step and you're never on the first step again. It's not a stair-step process. The Christian life is more like a circle that is always revolving and it never stops until the day you meet the Lord face to face. I'd like to start this morning to illustrate that by looking at a very famous, a very well-known, I should say, portion of Scripture. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Please know that these are the words of our Lord Jesus after He was raised from the dead and before the ascension. These are, in a sense, kind of His last commission to us. It's very important. Let's read the passage together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There are three things there that are in that circle that continually revolves the first one, and you see it in our mission statement, go make disciples. Some have said go, or as you are going through life, it is our responsibility to tell people about Jesus. The fact that we are all sinners, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was raised from the dead, and that if we would give our lives to him and accept his forgiveness on the cross, we would be saved. That's the reaching out part of our R baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the early church, at least, baptism was the first act of obedience. Once someone has become a disciple of Christ, they need to grow and learn what it is to be um, a believer. And then finally, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The Christian life, please hear this, because I think as we get older, we forget this. The Christian life is an ongoing process of obedience. It never stops. Our lives should be a continuing model of obedience. We live our lives in obedience to the Lord, and every time we do that, we worship the Lord or we reverence the Lord. We not only speak the gospel, but we live the gospel out in our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us this when it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when you see our three R's, when you see the Great Commission, please understand you don't just kind of stair step and leave everything else behind. You're, it's, it's a process that's continually going on. Today I'm going to talk about raising up. And in our inquirers class, we say the corresponding word that you might understand um, for raising up is discipleship. Discipleship. Disciples are devoted, are followers of Christ. By the way, you can be a disciple of anything, but in a biblical context, when we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about learning to be disciples of Christ. And once we are disciples of Christ, we begin growing. We are then devoted to deepening the devotion of others to follow Christ. So when you talk about reaching out or discipleship, there's really two aspects to it that you need to be aware of. The first one is being raised up by someone else. Someone else is discipling you or, or raising you up. There is also the raising up of another. In other words, once you have been raised up, you then should be someone who works to raise someone else up. So there's, there's uh, two aspects of discipleship, if you will. This morning, I'm going to share with you, I'm going to spend the lion's share of this sermon talking to you about how to do this some elements of discipleship or raising up. And I want you to know that no matter which aspect of raising up we're talking about, whether it's someone discipling you or you discipling someone else, someone else these elements that I'm going to share with you apply to both. These are things you need to have to, for raising up to be happening. The first one is this. You need willing people. You need willing people. It is amazing to me that sometimes when someone says, will you disciple me, the, it's almost like the person that's being asked to disciple the other, that it's their responsibility to disciple them. And it's true, but I want you to know, you can't disciple anyone if they are not willing. They may say they're willing, but if they are not willing, discipleship cannot happen. When I think of making a choice or being will, willing to follow the Lord, I think of Joshua 24, 15. I love the passage it's after the, uh, God's people have taken the promised land and Joshua comes to them and challenges them and says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are serving. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You cannot disciple someone Someone can't be discipled if they are not willing to serve the Lord. A person won't grow unless he is in submission to the Lord. And I want to tell you just a quick story about kind of the opposite of that when you have someone who maybe is not willing, how it, what it kind of looks like so you can understand this point. Um, as many of you know, I used to be the youth pastor. I was teaching on, on this, something about this subject at beach camp. I don't remember exactly what it was. But I remember right in the middle of teaching, the student stood up and said, Tim, I want you to disciple me. It was very almost challenging in nature. It kind of caught me off guard. And I said, well, well, we can talk about that. No, no, no. You said we need to be discipled, and I want you to disciple me. And I was like, Okay. Can we talk about it later? <laughs> sure. So that student and I started meeting. And by the way, discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is not a, 
a Bible study. That's in that, but discipleship is more of a relational process. You got to get involved in people's lives. And this young man, we started meeting, we started doing things together. I think we went through some kind of a study. I would meet him to have a soda pop or something together. You know, we would do things together. I got involved in his life. And as we were spending time together, he was sharing with me, he got a, somewhere in that process, he, he got involved with the girl, had a girlfriend, and he was sharing with me about, you know, it was, I wasn't looking for it, but it was just out of the blue one day, he was sharing with me about watching movies with his girlfriend at her, ho- at her house. And and he continued to share that story with me and said, yeah, it's really nice. We eat together. We grab a blanket. We, we lay on the couch together and we bundle up under the blanket. And I'm like, I said, she has a roommate, right? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, is, is the roommate there when this is going on? Oh, Tim, nothing's going on. I mean, right off he got defensive. I said, well, no, I'm just asking, is, was the roommate there? No, no, no. We, we can't watch a movie when roommate's there. This is when the roommate's not there. And I said, Brother, I just want to tell you, that's very dangerous. I just had that talk with him. He said, it's very dangerous. Tim, there's nothing going on. He got real defensive. I said, well, I'm not saying anything's going on. I'm just telling you that's dangerous. You need to be careful to be alone like that because, you know, God did make us a certain way. And I said, and, 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 but Tim, nothing's going on. I said, well, even if nothing's going on, you understand it, it doesn't look good. You know, we have a responsibility to not cause a weaker brother to stumble, to not do anything that we can be questioned about. And so it, it just doesn't look good. And he goes, I don't know why you're getting on me for this. We're not doing anything wrong. Well, I got to tell you, the discipleship relationship broke down pretty quick after that. I got to tell you that um, that young lady got pregnant. They ended up getting married and they are now divorced. Now, I'm not saying had I continued to meet with him that maybe that still couldn't have happened, but certainly there wasn't a willingness there. I don't believe you can be in submission to the Lord without the help of others in your life because we all have blind spots. And if you want to be, if you want to grow in the Lord, or if you want to help someone else to grow in the Lord, you need people in your life to help you with this, which leads to the second point. You need trusting relationships with godly people. You need trusting relationships with godly people. Proverbs 4, 5 5 to 7, and I'm just going to read a portion of it, says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Now, the implication there is clear. You need to get wisdom because you don't have it. Proverbs 10, 13, and 14 says, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. If discipleship is going to happen, you need godly people that make right godly decisions and that you will listen to them. You don't need people that lack judgment. It's always easy to find people who will tell you what you want to hear, but you need people in your life that will be honest with you and share with you things that they see that are at least dangerous. I am so thankful when I gave my life to the Lord you know, the pastor um, told us, I remember when, we, when my wife and I accepted the Lord together, when the pastor led us to the Lord, the first thing he told us is, Tim, you need to get involved. You, need, you and your family need to get involved in a church. You need to get good godly people around you, and you need people that you will trust and listen to. And it was interesting, the Lord brought a very quickly at a prayer conference. I didn't want to be at the prayer conference, but we were doing everything we wanted we could do 
to, to grow. And at this prayer conference, we were told to, uh, to get a prayer partner. I mean, I was a young, young believer. I didn't know a lot of these people. And I'm looking around the room thinking, I don't even know who I would want to pray with. And across the room, there was this guy who's still my best of best friends to this day. And, and he was the perfect guy for me. I saw him across the room and it was like I went, And he went, and that started a relationship where we started meeting together, and boy, he really helped me. That's the kind, that's what you need for discipleship to happen. Good, trusting relationships with godly people. The third aspect, this is not a biblical concept. It's a biblical concept, but you're not going to see biblical words. I'll, I'll try to make it clear to you, though. You need role models, not chaperones. This is something I was taught long ago, and I used it back when I was in youth ministry when I was looking for youth staff. You know what a chaperone is? When I think of a chaperone, I think of a chaperones at like a school dance. You know, there are older people who are there to make sure that you do what you should do and not do what the school doesn't want you to do. And the, the thing about chaperones, character isn't important. When I think of chaperones, I think they were, they were there, and I'm almost ashamed to tell you this. This was in my PC days. But they're there to make sure you're not drunk when you come to a dance. They are there to make sure you don't bring alcohol into the, into the dance, although they could be alcoholics for all we know, but they're just there to tell you what you can't do. Uh, they're there to make sure that you don't, um, you know, dance too close to the girls or hold them too close or you know and yet they could have all those same things that they do in their own life. In fact, I'm sorry to tell you that we had chaperones that would buy us beer after the dance. See, a chaperone is, is you know what they call a chaperone in, in the scriptures? Hypocrites. They talk a talk, but they don't walk the walk. We really need role models. And a role model is someone who another person admires and tries to be like. And we all want to endeavor to be like Christ. But we need role models who, will, who are also like Christ that we can look up to to help us to be more like Christ. With role models, character is everything. Character is everything. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and following is the, is the uh, scriptures that talk about, one place in scripture that talk about leaders in the church. And it says, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. And it goes on to explain what that is. You know, the husband of one wife manages his family well, so on and so forth. And we need people like that in our life. They're living their lives for Christ, and they are above reproach. I love 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And the first time I heard this passage, I thought, I want to become like that. It says, command and teach these things. Set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity until I come. Devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. In discipleship, we need good, godly, diligent people to either look up to or we need to be these people ourselves. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
I fear that in the Christian church, we sometimes act more like chaperones than we do role models. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, many of us have memorized it. Dear friends, I urge you, now listen to this, as aliens and strangers in the world. You know what that says? We aren't like the world. Chaperones are like the world. And I think sometimes we live that way. We are to be different than the world. It goes on to say, as alien strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Role models. We abstain from things that might be okay in moderation, but we abstain from them for the sake of being an example for people. And we need people in our lives that live like that. We need role models, not chaperones. And then finally, you need discipline. The fourth thing, you need discipline. Now, when you think of discipline, I, or when we think of discipline, I fear we think of punishment. In the Bible, discipline is much more than that. In fact, I looked up the definition of discipline in a, in a Bible dictionary, and listen to what it says. Discipline means to learn and to get to know. A direct kind of acquaintance with something or someone. Discipline refers to a process by which one learns a way of life. A disciple was like an apprentice who was learning a trade or a craft from a master. Such learning required a relationship between the master who knew the way of life, the discipline, and a learner, the disciple. Within the relationship, the master led the learner through a process, the discipline, until the learner could imitate or live like the master. So we need people in our lives that we can look up to, that we can look up to their godliness, that they point us to the Lord. They live their life in a way that we can model their life because they live like Jesus. And if we want to disciple someone else, which by the way, we are all called to get to that point. If we want to disciple somebody else, we need to be the kind of person that someone can look up to. Now, there's a weird kind of humility in the church. I don't really think it's humility, actually. I think it's really just nothing more than a cop-out. People say, oh, don't look, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Well, that sounds great. But I want you to know something. If you claim the name of Christ, they do look at you. You can't help it. And by the way, the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you should be the kind, we should be the kind of people that imitate Christ so that others can look at us. We ought to live to be role models. People say, don't put me on a pedestal. You are on a pedestal. You can't help it. So quit using it as a cop-out and start learning to live in a right way so that when people look at you, they see Jesus, not the wrong way to do things. Discipline 
has been removed from our culture in a lot of ways. And I think discipline has been removed from the church. We have a bunch of lazy believers in the church today. It's almost like we think we can just go through life and do everything however we want to do. That's a chaperone. We need to be role models. So let me share some disciplines with you. I'm sharing with you relatively quickly, but I'll just share a few. This isn't all everything that could be said about this, but I'll give you a few. The Word of God, the Bible. Psalm 119, 9 to 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When was the last time you took time to read the scriptures? Oh, I know, I don't have time. I'm too busy. When was the last time you took time to memorize a scripture? Pastor Brian very diligently tried to get us to memorize the 23rd Psalm. People say, I can't memorize. You don't know my brain. Sure you can. We memorize all kinds of things all the time. If it's important to you, you can memorize it. How well, seriously, we ought to be able to bring the scriptures to light in all of life's situations. How well can you do that? You can't if you're not in the scriptures. When was the last time you took time to read a good book by a good Christian author speaking on the scriptures? Boy, there's a wealth of books out there. People say, I don't like to read. I'm not a good reader. You know what? Neither was I. I flunked out of COS. I was a terrible student. But I have learned to read and love to read. Oh, we got time to read all kinds of things. When we say we can't read, yes, we can. Oh, we can read our romance novels. We can read our novels that they make into trashy movies. And then we go see the movies and say the novel, oh, just like the book. It's wonderful. We have time for that stuff, but we do not have time to read books about the scriptures. If you want a good book, if you want to find some good books to read about the scriptures, I got all kinds of them. Stop by and see me. I'll even buy the book for you. The church. I am amazed. When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the gathering of the corporate community of Christ. It is important to be connected to the corporate community of Christ. The pastor that led us to the Lord said, Tim, you need to get your family involved in church. I am amazed at how supplemental the church has become to the Christian life anymore. It's like I come when I can. But I don't need to be there. Listen, let me tell you something about that. You misunderstand how important you are. You do. A few weeks ago, I was struggling. And I'm not going to look to that side of the room because it'll make me cry. But I was struggling. I was having a terrible day. And someone came up to me, did something I don't think she's ever done before. Put her arms around me and hugged me and just gave me a little kiss on the cheek. I just felt like Jesus reached down and told me it was going to all be okay, Tim. What if she hadn't come to church that day? You don't underestimate the importance of being with godly people. It matters. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, you know it. I quote it almost every time I preach. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as most, it says as some, but I happen to think as most are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
I don't understand coming to church and going home. I really don't. I think, Sunday, well, Sunday, I'm tired. It's my day of rest. It's your day of rest to worship the Lord, if you want to go back to that principle. Listen to this. And I don't have time to, I don't have time to give you more passages, but I could prove it to you from Scripture. If you want to sit down with me, I'll, I'll show you what Scripture says. If other things are more important to you than the Lord's church, then those things are more important to you than the Lord. If other things are more important to you than the Lord's church, then those things are more important to you than the Lord. Matthew 6, 19 to 24, people usually use that in dealing with money, but it's really talking about the things we value. And it says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and all those other things. <laughs> it says money or mammon, the world system. Is the church important to you? That you need that for discipleship, for, reaching, for raising up. Membership. Now, I got to tell you, some churches do not practice formal membership. We do. But whether we do or not, the principle is still there. There is, needs to be a process by which someone unites with the body of Christ. Here's what happens as Christians. They use what I call we-they language. We, sorry, they use they language instead of we language. They do this. They did that. I don't agree with them. We need to understand we are a part of the they if we, are, if we claim the name of Christ, and it's important to, to join the church. I don't understand if a church practices membership, why people don't join. Oh, I've heard the reasoning, but I'm telling you, it's like living with somebody rather than marrying them. Put the ring on the finger and get committed, folks. Hebrews, if you look at, the, if you look at many passages, look at some of the things we are told to do. I already quoted Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We are to spur one another we are to encourage one another. 1 Peter 1.22 says that we are to love our brothers and love one another deeply. 1 Peter 3.8 says that we are to live in harmony with one another. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other or one another. Who are the one another's? It's talking about the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, people need to join and get involved and quit being on the outside looking in and get inside and start looking out. Our next inquirers class, by the way, is November 9th. You could sign up for it this morning. Service. It's another discipline. Do you know if we claim the name of Christ, we will follow his example? If we claim the name of Christ, we will follow his example. You can see his example very clearly in Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know who the Son of Man is? God. God incarnate, Jesus Christ, who does not need you, 
who requires, who, who really can do all that he wants on his own. He's completely self-sufficient in himself. And yet he comes to earth, makes himself nothing, taking on the form of a human to serve us. Think about that. He who spoke creation into being, he came to serve us. Doesn't it seem fit that we would want to serve him? Wouldn't it seem that we would want to seek to serve more than to be served? First Peter 4.10, listen to these passages. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. Philippians 2, 3 to 5 and 7, which I just quoted portions of it, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who took on the very nature of a servant. Galatians 5, 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Ephesians 6, 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. When that pastor who led us to the Lord told us that we needed to get involved in the church, he said, and Tim, start serving because you will learn what it's like to be a believer to be a Christian if you will serve. That's why it's hard for me to, to understand why people would come to church and then go home. We've always been taught you get involved. You come, you, go, you come to services, maybe you do a Bible study, maybe you actually serve in the children's department or the youth department or something like that. Folks, I got to tell you, and I really am trying to tighten down the thumbscrews right now, I got to tell you, it really bugs me that we can't get eight people to start our, our Bible club. How is that even possible in the, in the, in the Christian church, in, the, in a godly church? How is that possible? Now, I know some people work. It's at what, like two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. So I know some people can't do it, but we can't come up with eight people to take the kingdom to a secular local school. I think we have forgotten that part of living the Christian life is to serve. Influences, we need to think about that. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do wickedness and righteousness have in common? I think we need to look at our activities 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know why people don't have time for the church? Because they're caught up in too many other things. Why do they not have time to, to do the things of God? Because they're caught up in too many other things. And the last one I'll give you, and I'll just read the passages to you, giving. If you love the Lord, you ought to be giving to the Lord's work. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? 
in tithes and offerings. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I fear people read that and say, well, I can't give cheerfully, so I'm not going to give. Okay, that's not what it's saying. Start giving, let the Lord pour out his blessings to you, and learn to enjoy it. It, Could you imagine being married and not giving anything to the marriage at all, and just expecting your spouse to do everything? We need to be people that give. We should be known for our commitment and discipline to the Lord. But I fear we are known for our discipline to worldly things. Hey, how about those giants? They're in the World Series. I am happy for my giant fans. I'm a Dodger fan. (laughs) And someone actually told me that I'm not a good Dodger fan if I root for giant fans. And I said, I'm not defined by my sports team. You understand? Do you know that when we stand before the Lord, nothing about the World Series is going to be mentioned? Do you know that when we stand before the Lord, nothing about the Super Bowl will be mentioned? Do you know when we stand before the Lord, the Lord's not going to go, oh, Tim, you were such a faithful Dodger fan. Well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) Are you known as a sports fan? Or are you known as a committed follower of Christ? Are you known by your kids' activities? Or are you known as a committed follower of Christ? Are you known because of your your workout plans, groups, by your dietary supplements, by your anti-aging creams? These are things I see on Facebook as if they're like miracles. What about your crafts or your romance novels? or your politics. Sometimes I think politics just really, it's like somehow we're a good Christian if we have a good political stand. Coming, we read about Christians who had no political rights at all. Or are we known for being a committed follower of Christ? I've spent a lot of time this year thinking about death. If you know anything about our family, you know why. And what hits me is when my time comes, what will I be remembered for? Will I be remembered for something I did here on earth or will I be remembered as just a a committed follower of Christ? What about you? When your time comes, what are you going to be remembered for? Not that we need to, I don't even think we need to set a legacy. In fact, I think we need to point people to Christ. But you understand what I'm saying, don't you? A song came to my mind, and I've asked Brian if we could sing the song together. I love the song. It's called 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. Worship his holy name. Seem like never before. Does our life sing out worship to the Lord? There's There's a verse in it, and I want you to pay attention to it. On that day when my strength is failing, 
The end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 reasons. Let's stand and sing the song together. This will be our closing prayer. Once the song's over, if you'd like to speak with someone about something that the Lord's been telling you this morning, come forward. We'll have people up here to be with you. But when the song's over, you are dismissed.